0: I'm Kate Daniels. The history we ignore that we don't learn from is destined to repeat itself. World War II was such a time with horrific atrocities. Dr. Dirk van Lienen was a child at that time, old enough to understand the experience, and has been writing about it and speaking where he can to enlighten, inform, and inspire us to be ever aware in our life to do what needs to be done. He is the author of a series of three books about those years and joins us this morning to discuss a little bit more detail about the third book, The Last Train to the Concentration Camp. Dr. Van Lienen, Dirk, good morning and thank you so greatly for taking time with us this morning. You're welcome, Kate. Thank you. You're so welcome, and I am really so grateful that you have written these books that you have, and that you're here to share uh, some insights into them this morning, and to give us an opportunity to have our own copies, because the history that you share from World War II is firsthand, because you were a child at that time, not just a a child during the war but you actually spent time in a concentration camp.
1: Yeah, that's right. Luckily we uh, we didn't spend very long there but it was a unbelievable sight to walk into a place where 60,000 people are being held against their will of course also held uh, without any food or, or drink, just a, one little pump of water that people would stand in line for to get some water. Uh, unimaginable. Dead bodies everywhere.
0: And to be a child, uh, yeah. well, to be anyone, but thinking of a child being uh, in that kind of a situation, and you were with your parents... Were, did yes. you were there other siblings with you? No, no,
1: no. my my brothers and sisters were in uh, in the north of Holland, where the farmers said, "Send your city children to us. We have room here, room to play, and the schools were closed. so you, my brothers and sisters went there. Unfortunately, I was too young to go
0: and you were what age then?
1: Uh, I was five years old.
0: So you remained with your parents. And then what happened that they were taken, along with you, to the concentration camp?
1: Yeah. Well, the, the point is, that it's very uh, nasty. At the last month of the war, there was one Gestapo officer who was hell-bent to catch my parents father, because they knew he had been hiding Jewish people. But they followed him with trucks and with soldiers and with binoculars, so my father couldn't see that he was followed. They stayed far behind until they caught him at a farm where 72 Jewish people were in hiding. That was the big offense that why they caught him. Then he was taken to a jail. In the jail, he was tortured for five days. And I was at home with my mother when a soldier came after five days and said, you need to come to the jail with us so you can clean up your your husband. And then uh, you have to bring new clothes for him. So we went. We were brought to the jail and... When I walked in there, I saw my father laying in a heap on the floor, all bloodied and almost half con- conscious. And I started bawling. I, I could not hold myself. I, I, it was horrible. Then after about two hours, my mother had bandaged him up, cleaned him up, put him into new clothes, and he was able to finally sit on a chair. And my mother said to the soldiers, we're ready to go home. And my mother uh, was not aware that um, what was going to happen. So the soldiers said, no ma'am, you're not going home. You're going to, to concentration camp tonight on a train. And we were put on a train with 200 people so tied together that we couldn't even move my hands. And um uh, the train started going, and it took the train four days and four nights to come to the camp called Bergen-Belsen. And in that camp is where we stayed for just a night. And it was so horrible that I, I sometimes, when I think of it, I start crying again. But we were lucky. <laughs> and you can say we were lucky if you enter a camp with two sixty thousand people people walking around like skeletons yes. um, there's a picture in my book how a person is sitting on a heap of shoes and he's pulling off the leather soles of the shoes and soaking them in water and that's what they were eating that was the only food they could find then the luck came because the next morning we heard gunshots, and in came in a mighty army of tanks and trucks, thousands of soldiers with food and with help, and the, the military Germans were taken in, of course, arrested without a fight because they had no, absolutely no power um, against this. Mighty British Army. And then uh, we were fed. We got food for the first time for a long time. Many people could not eat anymore. They were too far gone. And in that camp, 30,000 people died in the next month from the results of that camp. But we were lucky because we had to register. Every barrack, there was a table set in front and a British officer behind it. And we were, everyone in the barracks had to register, tell them their name and how long they were there and so on. It, it's Holocaust. The word means more than hell.
0: Admittedly. And when you say you were lucky, it's yeah. because you You basically needed to just spend one night there. Is that right? That's
1: right. And we didn't know that, of course, beforehand. You'd think the thought, you know, we're talking about separating children from parents in, in the United States at the moment. But that is no comparison because we were in the same barrack with the people and we were not separated. If we were separated... We knew you were being killed. Yes. Let that sink in, because that was the only thing that happened if people were separated. But the luckiness was that the British officer asked my father's name, and I remember standing in front of that table, and my father gave his name, and the man looked up, and he said, are you the case when Ryan from The Hague? And my father said, yes, but how do you know? And the officer said, we have been talking to each other for the past three years on the radio. And you need to get back to Holland immediately. And we were put on a truck with food and new clothes and we were on our way back to Holland. That wasn't that easy because the war was going on and everywhere were battle lines and allied troops and German troops and people coming out of camps, walking the death marches, how people that were already practically dead were walking on the streets. Uh, There's no words for it. I think we
0: cannot... At all comprehend. And we wouldn't want to be in that situation, of course. We pray that we never have to repeat that. But, yeah. I, but yet, these kinds of situations still do go on in the world, don't they?
1: They do. They do. But at least the world is aware, like all the older people that came from Syria, The people were aware of them and there were help groups and people that supported them and gave them food and finally, in the countries where they ended up, they were helped. They were given food and and shelter. And that is the big difference. There was nothing at those times when we were in that situation. When we finally arrived, and the book is all about the story, how we arrived and what we went through. When we finally arrived at our house in The Hague in Holland, we found our house completely ransacked. There was nothing in our house. There there were no doors. The windows were gone. Everything was out of the house, stolen by the Nazis. And so my mother, when we saw the house, my mother started crying. That was the first time I saw my mother cry through that Holocaust. And she said, now what are we going to do? Of course, we had friends and resistance people there, and we were staying there, and we were helped. Then the war finally ended. And through that period, uh, we just had to hang around and wait it out. And be careful, because the soldiers, at that time, in the last week of the war, they became more mean, even meaner than they were before. If you just as much rolled your eyes, they would shoot people.
0: The desperation.
1: Trying to paint a picture, and of course, it's almost impossible to make reality in words. But it, my book is, you know, you, you saw the black pages in my book? yes yeah that's unique and,
0: and the reason for that share that with us
1: yeah well because we were on that train for four days and four nights people knew what was going to happen it was the end of their life and they were one person started singing a special jewish song and he would sing two three sentences and people would snicker and cry and And he would stop again, and after a day, again, standing there without food, without water, four days and four nights, no toilet, no being able to turn around, people throwing up on each other and defecating and stank like like horrible. That's why I have ten black pages. It was a black time, more than black. And if people go through those pages, they can sort of reflect of what happened and how that was, how that must have been. There were people dying in that train because in that group of people, they they just gave up.
0: Yeah. Understandably, that they, they would. And the courage that it would take to survive that as a child, yeah, did yeah. you? Did it give you nightmares? I mean, did, yeah. How?
1: Oh, did, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, still do. <laughs> sometimes I really wake up crying, and sometimes I, I don't know if I survived. What? Why I survived? But now I know yes. to tell the story, and I do a lot of talks. Four people, large groups of people, and the reactions are always, how did you, how could you survive that ordeal?
0: Because you had to. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. There's no no other way out than death.
0: And yet as a child, and... I guess it was fortunate that at least you had both your parents beside you. But your father was was so beaten up. How how was he able to even survive that kind of four-day yeah. trek?
1: He was a very strong man, very strong at will and very strong in his body. And the wounds, he told me later he was hurting all the way, but he had... His faith. That's why he survived. His faith kept him whole. And and that goes in all three of my books. You can feel that his power came from his faith, that he would be going through it, and he would be able to help. He risked his life every day for others.
0: It's (laughs) just so incredible it's uh, I'll use the word awesome which is again not even sufficient the kind of risks that he took but the um, passion that he had because he would be considered one of the leaders of the resistance correct that's that's
1: correct yes and in my first book that is called resistance on a bicycle he uh, he goes through the whole situation with hiding people and taking people to places and taking the risk every day to be arrested and being shot. And he went on and on and on. And in the first book, it's it's beginning of the war. The second book is called The Americans Are Coming. People were so desperate. They were screaming for food, screaming for freedom, and and they didn't get it. But out of sheer uh, relief, they would say, but the Americans are coming. And that is what my second book is called. And then the third book, of course, you've, you've read part of it, is The Last Train to the Concentration Camp. And it literally was the very last train that ever went to a concentration camp. And it wasn't easy for that train and for that train uh, conductor because he ran into battle lines everywhere. And he had to, sometimes the train was waiting in the field or in in a place for hours, many hours. And we were just standing there and just waiting there and that's why it took 4 days and 4 nights to get there.
0: And that kind of experience of the train just being stopped in the middle of nowhere and it's dark inside and you yeah. hear bombs dropping I can't imagine but it must feel like it's going to drop on us any moment too.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That thought was always with us because in the first book we we have a story on that people go outside at night looking up in the sky and they saw what we called the flying bombs those were the first rockets and they were on their way to england and we saw them fly we saw light in the sky lights but if that went out on one of those rockets that red light it meant that the engine stopped of that rocket and it came straight down And we were always, when we heard those bombs going by, we were so afraid we went outside watchfully uh, looking at it if it went by or if it was going to drop. And many of them had dropped on the city of The Hague and ruined many houses and killed many people. So, yeah, that fear was always there.
0: In those early days of the war and your father, your family, really, the whole family was involved yeah. in the resistance, yeah. you did actually hide Jewish families in your home, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah, we had an average of 20 people under the floor of our house, and it was a very intricate hiding place because they went through our house under the floor, but then they went next door under the floor and there was a warehouse and that warehouse was a one-story warehouse and it had a concrete floor but underneath that concrete floor was sand and they dug out a whole room a lot of room for people to stay there and sit on mattresses waiting out until they would be moved from our house to a farm somewhere in the Netherlands. People were being brought at night, one at a time, to farms. And from one farm to another farm and another farm till, till they finally had a place where they could stay for a longer time. And those farms, there were hundreds of them all over Holland. And the thing about a farm is they have buildings and they have lofts, and they have hay lofts and haystacks and outbuildings and outside buildings, and they have places where people could stay, and the Nazis did not find them. Sometimes they did, and that happened several times, too. And, of course, my father had the burden of thinking that people that he had tried to save were still arrested also. And that's in the first book, and it continues in the second book as well.
0: And we get some of that in the third book as well, although the war is already beginning to end, but each day seems like it's weeks long because there's just everything is so painfully slow in happening. Yeah. That's right. And thinking of all the these tunnels and, and hiding these people and thus saving their lives, so all of this was created uh, by your parents and their friends. They were digging these hiding places and, and blocking off rooms. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were always active. The farmers, on a farm there's always a lot of work. But at the end of the war, there was no more work at the farms. The cows were stolen, the animals were taken, even the crops were taken, even the seeds for next year were taken by the Nazis because they were hungry themselves. And they shipped whatever they could steal from the farms to Germany to feed their people there. And of course, you know, people are desperate too, because all the men in Germany were somewhere in the world fighting. And the women and children were at home and had no way of creating food, and so they stole it from all the other countries. But the farmers at the farms, they were active, creating hiding places, moving people around, stories also on how they moved people around. One boy, one farmer's son, had created from the skin of a cow, he had created a way that two people could go into the skin of the cow and walk like a cow, with four legs, of course. And that cow would go into the meadows, and other cows if there were any, would follow that one cow with two people in it, sometimes walking as a cow for, for 10 miles to go to another place. And the inventivity of people was great, unbelievably great. When you are in big trouble, you become inventive.
0: It is just unbelievable, that story, and just... Yeah. thinking of the courage of banding together because you knew that you needed to save these lives. You couldn't just yeah. let these people be run over and killed. And- no,
1: yes. that's right. yeah. So the responsibility of those farmers and my father and my mother and everyone else involved was huge, that they, they lived for what they were doing.
0: And with the resistance, which to me is... In a way, fascinating. Uh, it was necessary, of course. But the way that these people just knew to trust each other, and they there was such courage, it's just almost unimaginable.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: And that courage is why your father was so focused on. He was really a key leader, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he was. He was in charge of uh, a lot of people.
0: And your father, after the war, did he continue to live in Holland?
1: Yeah. My parents were, after the war, still very humble, and they lived their life. My father was a lawyer, went back to work, and um, they became very old. One day, government people came to our house, and I remember that. I was six years old then, and... These people said to my parents, you need to come to that and that address because you're going to get a medal. And my father said, oh no, absolutely not. We did this work out of my out of our faith and conviction mm-hmm. and we don't want a medal for that. And then my parents, my father died when he was 97 and my mother when she was 103. My. And they always said, this is our reward, having a long life and being able to enjoy the rest of our life after all this.
0: You know, isn't that just so phenomenal that all that they suffered all those yeah. years yeah. and rebuilt their home, that yeah. home that where all the windows were stolen and the doors?
1: Yeah. Everything, yeah. It took them six months after the war before we could move back in.
0: Which is relatively short, considering.
1: Yeah, yeah. considering you have to scrounge up, there were no products available for the longest time.
0: Understandably. Yeah. 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 And what about your brothers and sisters?
1: Well, because they were at the farms in the north of Holland for the last two years of the war, they had a good time. They were fine. They came back three months after the war, they were well-fed and healthy, and the last two day, years of the war were the worst two years, and they had a good time at the farms. That was a blessing, too, for the family and for my brothers and sisters.
0: And yet, is it hard for them to relate to what you experienced and what your parents went through?
1: Yes, yes and no. They didn't really experience it, and they were young, too, Um But they knew, of course, and they saw at the first few months of the liberation, they saw what we had to go through to build a house again. But, uh, yeah, they did not have that intense fear that we had, that my parents and I had.
0: Well, your gift then, if we try to find the silver lining in all of that atrocity, are these three books, and your speaking engagements, but these three books, Resistance on a Bicycle, The Americans Are Coming, and The Last Train to the Concentration Camp, that shares that first-hand account with us of what went on because, again, it's so important for us, isn't it, to understand what's gone on in history so that we really do not end up repeating that again.
1: Absolutely, and history is repeating itself. It is because it, Iran is always saying, we'll drive all the Jews into the sea. And uh, in many countries in the world, there's wars going on and bad things going on and lack of food and lack of life. And so it is going on. And if people are reading my books, they always tell me, wow, And amazing that you survived, and we better help people if we can in this situation at the moment.
0: Absolutely.
1: By the way, I have a website under my name, Dirk van Lienen, with all E's in the last word, dot com. And there, all three books are available, and I ship them all over the country
0: so definitely that's a great resource, a great place to pick up our own copies. And if our eyes are somewhat filtered, learn the history, experience the history from a first-hand account.
1: Yes, I do talks in schools sometimes, and I'm amazed how little kids know. And I'm always amazed, but they are Bound when they hear these stories and read these stories because there's nothing in history and history books that relates anything close to that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate, Dirk van Leenen that you have spent time with us this morning to open up some of the pages of the books and to really begin to open up our eyes and give us the opportunity to read your first-hand accounts. Thank yeah. you so
1: much dedicated to spread this word as long as I live.
0: Well, I am grateful that you are. And again, I thank you so much for spending time with us this morning.
1: Thank you, Katie. Thank you for asking me.